Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. Got into the uh, illustrations, and uh, but I did one last uh, week, and uh, I do believe that uh, uh, when we see in here, it makes a big difference with what we leave with. And after we got home uh, Sunday afternoon, I got uh, it, it, I wasn't home maybe a couple of hours, and um, I told Catherine that uh, I said next Sunday I'm going to do a, another illustrated message, and. Um, and so uh, I don't really believe in sermons. Sermons, you can, anybody can do a sermon. What the Lord moves on is a message because a message becomes part of your life. Are you with me now? Any part that you've digested from God, you can take and you can break off of that bread and give it to somebody else and there'll be life upon it, okay? And so um, I actually heard this message maybe a decade ago. It's one of the most powerful messages. Uh, y'all hot in here? Anybody hot, cold, whatever? We want to help you out, okay? And so, um, but anyhow, uh, I heard uh, Jensen Franklin preach a message called The Trophy Hunter. And uh, he had, uh, I think, uh, maybe one of the state records or world record bucks up on the stage or whatever. And I told Matt Monday morning, I said, we need to start searching for that message. I said, because I need to listen to that message. Well, that message is nowhere on the Internet. If you find it, good luck. I've searched everything uh, uh, to find the uh, message. And uh, so I said, okay, God, you don't want me to preach it the way Jensen preached it. And so the Lord gave me something I feel like that you're going to leave with today. Uh, that will uh, help you, but I want to talk this morning on the trophy hunter. I wish I could say that I killed every one of these deer. Uh, uh, actually, after seeing a couple of these, I left mine on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, two of these deer, uh, uh, Mr. Tom was blessed to take uh, in Saskatchewan. And uh, so they come all the way from Canada. And then the other two deer uh, that we see mounted, uh, uh, Ken Baldry had the privilege to kill these deer off of his farm. And this massive uh, set of horns down here in front of the pulpit um, is uh, actually one of, the, uh, one of the largest deer to ever come from this county. I think he's about 164 inches. That is a grown deer right there. And so, um, but anyhow, you go to Luke chapter 22. Um, I'm going to have to get used to preaching right here, so I'm probably going to come down because I don't want to feel like I'm lorded over anyone, okay? so, um, But Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, I want to read uh, uh, these two verses of Scripture, and I also want you to find First uh, Peter chapter 5. So Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, we're going to preach on the subject of the trophy hunter. Guys, so if you want to write that on the message there, verse 31 says, And the Lord said, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Let's read it one more time. And the Lord says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Find First uh, Peter chapter 5. I want to read a verse of scripture out of there. First Peter 5. Uh, um, in verse 8 says be sober and be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom 
he may devour. And so these two verses of Scripture tells us right here that we got someone really that's stalking our life. Are you with me now? And this morning, I want to talk to you on the subject of the trophy hunter, how we will spend hours in the woods trying to search for one of these trophies. Down here in the south, I mean... um, or any outdoorsman. I grew up, my father was uh, big in the outdoors, so I've grown up s- from the time I could walk in the woods till I just have a great passion for the outdoors. I love hunting. I love fishing. I love everything about the woods. There's nothing that detoxes me more than, and Catherine's like, how can you just get up every day and go? Which uh, is kind of hard when you got children now. And so I got boys old enough to do the shooting, so I don't get to do the shooting much anymore as much as I just get to um, buy the ammo and clean the animals they kill. So um, we what was it, Friday night? They had a squirrel and a rabbit strung up in the tree that they had taken. So, but, um, so anyhow, we just love the outdoors. But in this text, that basically what 1 Peter 5 and 8 says is that our enemy is a trophy hunter. Now, if we could go to the uh, uh, to the uh, the doors or the halls of hell, they would actually be trophies hanging in there that he has taken. Let me tell you what one of his trophies is. It's a father in the house that's disengaged. Come on now. It's a preacher. How many knows this? The Bible says his strategy is to smite the shepherd and scatter the sheep. Come on, somebody. The enemy doesn't mind us attending church, but what he does get very upset about is when you get engaged and you get planted in the house of the Lord because those that are planted in the house of the Lord, he knows that they'll be strengthened and flourished. What she's talking about in her vision is a plant, is us being planted in the house of God. Our root systems in John 15, he is the vine, we are the branch. All we have to do is stay planted in him, receive from him, draw from him, and he will increase the free the fruit on the vine. Are you with me now and so i was thinking about if if the enemy is an if, if if he is a true trophy hunter he has to have tactics like we have tactics in taking an animal down now how many knows how many hunters we got in the room are outdoorsmen only a few my god am i in new york city come on we're in the south all right listen how many knows that a trophy for one thing to be a trophy it's rare How many times when you go to the woods do you ever see a deer hanging on the left every time you go? Most of the time, that's one in a lifetime or once in a lifetime opportunity to take an animal like that. Their horns are measured by the Boone and Crockett scale in inches. This is a 164-inch uh, set of horns I'm holding in my hands. You do not see this. I have never, I've hunted since I was five years old and I've never seen a deer like this in the woods where I'm hunting. Are you with me? This is rare. That's what makes it a trophy. Now, any, the smaller animals will come right to you. Those and yearlings, those are the most easiest thing to take because they're not wise enough. They're not old enough to, to, to be wise to everything in the woods. But this animal here is extremely wise. Are you with me now? So I'm going to preach three things that is real simple of how we uh, kill a deer, okay? Someone need a little help right here. Will you hold this? So, oh gosh, it's heavy. All right. So the first thing we use, praise God that the state of Georgia legalizing feeding deer. Can we all give God the glory for that? So they legalized it so we wouldn't have to get a ticket anymore. 
Because if we were all honest in this room, we were feeding them a long time before they made it legal, okay? So here's the deal. And I hate to say that, but it's the truth. God forgive us. So anyhow, so what we use to draw the animals in, first of all, to take a trophy like this, we're going to need to pull the animals in. We got to have a food source. Are you with me now? So we plant, we, we plant food plots and we put oats and rye and, fe- and, and clay peas and um, all other types of uh, uh, food out there for the deer to eat. But one of the best attractants that takes them is the instant food plots called corn. Deer love corn. So in other words, we would take this, hold this. You can tell you got a country preacher. So we would take this, need a knife. You would take and run it just like this. Don't want nobody mess with me today. You see that, don't you? <laughs> Dan Broom gave me this knife. I about killed myself with the other one he gave me. So we would take this and... So if you have your Bibles there, so we need, we need some bait. And as we would put this bait down, what's going to happen is it won't take long. If you got deer in the area, does and yearlings are going to find this corn. And if we got does and yearlings, how many knows if you got does, you surely going to have bucks here directly. Okay. Cause mating season's going to come along. And so what we're trying to do is just draw the animals in. And so what we use is bait. Now listen here. The Bible says in Luke 17 verse one, let's read that. Can you read that in your Bible? I want you to see these verses of scripture that I'm going to read to you. Luke 17 and verse 1. Look at this. It says, Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. John Bevere wrote a book about a decade ago on, on a, a titled The Bait of Satan. And that word offend, if you look at it in the original Greek language, what it literally means is bait. The place in the trap where bait is set. Okay? For God, you can about bet you something's going to offend us in the house of the Lord. Lord. Come on, can you help me preach this thing? You get on fire for God, you start going to church, you, you're trying to live right, you're trying to do everything, and all of a sudden what's going to happen is somebody you trust, somebody that you respect is going to do something that offends you. Are you with me now? That is the very bait that he is luring you into to entrap your life. One thing that I know about unforgiveness is it does not bind the person that I'm offended with, it binds me. Help me preach this thing. It doesn't, like if Emmett offends me, he is totally free. Are you with me now? The person that is bound up is me on the inside. And if we don't choose to forgive, it will eat you from the inside out. And Jesus said in the model prayer, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he says, forgive, let me forgive my, my trespasses is I forgive what? Those who trespass against us. Let's be honest. We are family in here. The, fam- the, the house of God is a family. And in natural family, we do things to upset one another. But at the end of the day, we are still family and we are committed to one another. Whew. My God. Psalms 55. Psalms 55. Go to Psalms chapter 55. See, what I found out in my walk, I've been serving the Lord since I was 18 years old. Not long. I'm only 36. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I've been in ministry shortly after. So 
since I've been 18. That's why I don't have no hair and, um, and things like that. But listen, a lot of times, listen, the enemy will not use the man at the gas station to get you. Come on now. Notice this, that we don't put, if I'm hunting a track of land, especially if I'm trying to kill a deer with a bow. Now, how many knows when you, when you move into bow hunting, that's a whole lot different than hunting with a rifle. See, I can reach out and get him at 300 yards with my rifle on a good day. But now if I'm going to get him with a bow, the whole strategy changes. Now I got to get him at close range because I really need a 20 to 25 yard shot. So my bait is not going to be if I'm hunting a 500 acre track and my stand is on, is on this part of the farm. I'm not pouring the corn out 400 acres on the other side of the pond, uh, the of the farm. Are you with me? The bait is close range. So listen to me. The enemy will not use someone down the street to get you. He really prefers to use someone close range. Listen to this. If you don't care about the person, they can't offend you. But the person, you, because the reason why we offended is because we care and we love the individual. To the degree you love is the ability to the degree you have the opportunity to get hurt. My gosh. I'm not hurt because I don't care. I'm hurt because I care. Oh my gosh. Help me right here. But look at this. So the enemy, he's going to put the bait real close to the stand. You on fire, you come into church, you say, my God, things are happening down at Cornerstone. I'm getting, I'm getting my life back in order. Let me get in here. Here's the first thing you're going to have to deal with. Now look at what Jesus said. It is impossible. It is impossible that offenses will not come. Other words, we're all going to have the opportunity. But it's what you do with the opportunity. I have learned in my Christian life to say, hey, that was the opportunity right there. That is the bait. If you live it long enough, you will recognize the bait when you see it. Because some of us is good about speaking the truth. We're just not good about speaking it in love. As Catherine says, somebody needs to tell you the truth. I said, but do it in love. Look at this. I told you I should have went short sleeves. I mean, this, this underarm was about to heat this big man up. Look at this. Oh, Magellan. I told uh, Clint, uh, Cleve, I said, this is Magellan. This ain't underarm. This half price. Look at this. Isaiah 55, 12. Look at this. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Look at this. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man of my equal. Look at this. My companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God together. God help me right here. It's not going to be the man across the street. It's going to be the brother and the sister that is walking on the sidewalk with you to get in the house. That's the one who's going to offend you. 
Now, when the offense comes, we have the opportunity. Number one, we can deal with it right at the moment. What I have found is that if we deal with it the moment it happens, that's why the Bible says that if someone has wronged us, we are to go to that individual. It's going to be hard to preach this in an hour. We need to go to that individual. That's what Matthew 18 says. But let me show you how we usually do it. We never go to the individual. We go to the phone. This is how we do it. I just want you to pray about this with me. The other night, Cleve was up there talking to pastor, but he didn't acknowledge me. Just, I don't want to say nothing. Just pray for me about this. Hang the phone up. Sister Mary, how you doing? I'm doing good. Listen, the other night, I just want you to pray with me about something. Now what happens is, listen to me, the person that thought great about Cleve now has a question in his heart about Cleve. What we call discernment most of the time is suspicion. And suspicion is of the devil. It ain't got nothing to do with God. Come on, somebody. The enemy makes us suspicious. And what happens is, if we don't cut that out of the family directly, people are cursed before they even get in this building because we've done drawn a conclusion on them based on what you're telling us. Oh, yeah. How many members in school when we lined up and somebody told us something at this end? When it got to the other end, it was totally the opposite of what was being said. Listen, if you're offended, listen, do me a favor. Go to that person and say, man, you put a blade in my back. But I want to tell you this. I love you. I'm committed. Let's tear it down right now and let's serve God together. If you deal with it, then it cannot fester and grow up. But if you don't deal with it, what it will become is a cancer inside of you and it will eat you alive. Here's how you know when you've been offended. When they start talking about that person, your blood pressure goes up. I need to take a minute right here and get down and pray a while. Somebody brings up that person's name and all of a sudden the tone changes. Listen, forgiveness doesn't mean I have to trust you again. Come on. (laughs) And it doesn't mean when we together pray and I ain't praying like this. But what it means is, is I release you of the punishment I think you deserve. Because here's the real deal. Jesus, we all deserve death. But him hanging on the cross, this, him hanging on the cross said, Father, forgive them. Other words, don't punish them because they don't realize what they were doing. Come on, somebody. So what it does is it releases you from me, and I don't think you deserve. I, I release you of what I think you deserve. You with me? Now, look at this. How many's ever seen someone that was hurt in church, which this is the worst wounds to have, and we go back and try to minister to them? Look at Proverbs 18, verse 19. It says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. What 
what Solomon is saying is that it is easier to win a fortified city than one person that is offended. You will never win them as long as they're holding on to that offense. They have to let it go. And here's what we got. The reason why a lot of people can't let it go within church is because we've, 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 preached, we, we've tried to make church everything except what it is. It's just truly a family, okay? We're all human beings in here, even the, even the man preaching. I'm a human. I make mistakes. But what happens is when we, when we take the man of God and we put him up there on the top story and we're all down here, when he makes a mistake, we all can't believe he did that. But at the end of the day, he's still human. I'm a human being called by God with real problems and real mistakes. God just graced me with the ability to hold a microphone and communicate to his people. And a lot of times I'm not dumb. When God super anoints me and he blesses me real great, sometimes it's not because of me. Most of the time, 99% is because he loves his people so much that he will anoint whatever to communicate to his people. Hello? So we're all capable of hurting one another. We got to deal with it when it happens, okay? If we're going to be offended in 2016, we're going to deal with it. It doesn't say, then it says, if the person does not hear you, take two or three people with you. That is not your personal posse who you've been communicating with for the last three weeks. Help me here. That is some mature believers that have the ability to give counsel and can make wise decisions in how to fix that. Then it says if you can't work them out, bring them in front of the church. And if you can't work it out, then throw them out the back door of the church. I can't believe he said that. Did he say that? No, Jesus said that in Matthew 18. Now here, let me finish up here. Jesus gave a parable in Matthew 18 and he talked about a tormentor. And he said this, he said, so will your heavenly father send the tormentor to them who do not forgive. Well, preacher, you don't understand. The devil's just tormenting me every day. Listen, you can probably deal with some unforgiveness and those tormentors will leave. We were trying to cast the devil out of a lady one night, and we, and we casted about three demons out of her, and, I, and we couldn't get her free. And so, I mean, I, I, could not, I could not defeat this devil. And I'm praying, God, why don't I have the authority to cast this devil out? And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, because she's bound with unforgiveness. And I can't help her, nor you can't help her until she releases that. And I told the lady, I said, listen, you got to forgive. She started cussing like, like a sailor. She said, I'll never forgive. I said, listen, we can't help you until you choose to forgive. I said, when you forgive, doesn't mean you got to trust that man anymore, okay? You don't got to hang out with him. You ain't got to eat at his table. You ain't got to do, but you release him from the judgment that he think you think he deserves and so she said this she said i choose listen it's a choice it ain't a feeling come on somebody it's a choice i choose to let that go you might not feel like letting it go but she said i choose to let it go when she said i choose to let it go that devil left her life instantly at that moment it's a choice now it may take me a week or so to get over it but i choose to do it And when I go to God, I say, Father, at this moment, I mean, I've been in, I've had some things happen or seem like they happen. Here's the thing with every offense. There's a person that done wrong and the the person that perceived he's been done wrong. Sometimes my perception was jacked up. And sometimes I have been done wrong. And I... (laughs) Hey, Lord, I remember one time I was done wrong. 
wasn't a perception. And I remember we were going, we were going to Savannah to pray for somebody. And I told Catherine, my blood pressure was through the roof. You know, I'm, try, I'm trying to wipe my forehead. And I mean, I'm about shaking. I'm ready to go throw down. I mean, this is it. This is a brother I'm fixing. I'm ready to see him on the other side. I'm fitting to help him get on the other side with my bare hands. And Catherine, she said, she just looked. She said, ooh, you, you got to deal with that. Deal with what? Listen, let me tell you what I know about God. He is gracious and he's long-suffering. But don't think he forgets. You get back in his presence and all of a sudden he's going to bring it back full circle. And I'd, I'd get in prayer and I'd, get, I'd be like asking the Lord, God send revival. God send revival. He'd start playing that video of Catherine saying, you got to deal with that. So finally, I got to the point where I could deal with it. Listen, this is all that God is saying. Listen, if we don't want to be on the trophy wall of hell, we will have to deal with offense and get rid of the unforgiveness. Let's don't stay bound to it. Let's choose to forgive. Listen, I know you was done wrong. I know you was jacked up by the person you went to the house of God with. But choose to let them go. And if it's an enemy, the Bible says bless them. Somebody done you wrong in business, listen, bless them. And the Bible says he will heat coals of fire on their head. God will bring it back. Are you with me? Well, he stole the money from God will bring it back, pressed down, shaking up, multiplying and running over everything that was stolen from you. Do you believe it? We don't despise, we don't just, but if a thief be found, he restores sevenfold. God will bring it back. So listen, the first thing he's going to use to get you is offense. You know what he's going to do? He's going to make me not notice you. I've had people to get mad at me because I didn't say nothing to them coming in. Are you kidding me? Boy, I want to preach right there a minute. <laughs> My main goal on Sunday morning is this. Number one, I'm trying to make sure that I believe that I'm toting the message of the Lord that's got life on it for you every Sunday morning, okay? I may not not notice you or I may not say nothing to you. That doesn't mean that I'm against you. Are you with me? I'm for you. Hello. We got to get bigger than this. Are you with me? Quit wearing our sleeves up on the shoulder. Get big. All right. Well, it's hard to win a person that's been offended and hurt. Listen, the deepest hurts are those hurt by uh, th- those people that are hurt by leaders in the house of God. They, they're deeply offended and deeply hurt by that. But listen, the only way to get them is pray that God will break that hurt and pray that they can come to, time to, to deal with that hurt. If they can deal with that hurt and get out of that offense. Let me just say this else, because I, I, I will never cover this if I don't get to where I'm trying. I got a long ways to go, okay? But we're going to be like Burt Reynolds, and we're going to do what they say can't be done. Smoking the bandits if you need it. But listen to this. If you're offended at the person, if you're the person that's offended, you can't. Let's just say that someone, let's just say this. Let's just, let's just say this. Jesse gets mad with me during the service. He gets upset, cusses me out, and punches me in the jaw out here. And we throw down in the parking lot. It could happen, okay? I've seen church fights before. I have. I preached in a place where the pastor was knocked out behind the pulpit. Someone in the congregation, listen, someone charges, all I can tell you, be ready to throw down because I'm coming. 
with fivefold. You gonna you gonna eat this uh, my? You know, but no, I don't know it all. I believe in turning the cheek, but not twice. So here's the deal. Listen, if you're offended at the person, it's kind of hard for you to be involved in the process of restoration to the individual that needs restoring. Are you with me? What I'm saying is I've seen leaders get upset because those underneath them offended them greatly and then try to bring restoration to them. You can't do that because now you're not looking through the lenses of our Father. Our Father sees beyond our mistakes. What you do is you look through the lenses of the mistakes and the hurt that they've done for you, and therefore you cannot trust them. That's good. Let's move right along to the next one. All right. So we've used the corn. Now, every year and every outdoorsman knows this, and my wife knows this. Once it starts coming up to November, every hunter gets excited. Because November... The first two weeks, regardless of where it's different times in different parts of the country, but there's something called the rut. And it is the breeding season. And during the rut, this so wise animal lets his guard down. Now, all of a sudden, a deer that would never come in a plowed field is exposing himself to the plowed field because he's after one thing, and that's a doe. Now he's letting all of his guard down, knowing that he should never leave the seclusion of his sanctuary, which is in the middle of the woods. Now he's exposing himself. Now a scent that used to would make him stop in his tracks and turn another way. Now, because something that's that's ingrained in him is the desire to breed during that time now overrides that cautiousness that I should stop and turn. Now the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 5. Can I just just preach it out of my heart where we can travel faster? I don't got a clock in here, okay? So, but if you get done before I do, you're welcome to go. But in Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says this Paul said, Don't let a hint. Oh. Now, here's another thing that we do. Now, we we know that his natural desire is to find that dough. So, what we buy is we buy her scent. And we hang it in the woods where we know he's working some scrapes. A scrape is a place that he will come and he will take his front foot. He will take his horns and he will break the branches out of the tree over him. And he lays this scrape on the ground. In other words, while he's waiting is for that doe to come through, she will, I'm preaching a little bit too much, but she will urinate in that scrape and then he'll be able to track her. It's amazing how God sets these animals up. They're amazing animals. So what I'm going to do is... I know, and every one of these deer is screaming right now saying, Amen, he's telling the truth. He's not lying, listen. He got me with that. So we pour this out and we mimic, we mimic a hot doe is in the area. Doreen is dressed up and ready to go. 
Lord, the things we do. The Bible says the foolishness of preaching that men should be saved. Jesus is probably saying, my gosh, boy. Paul said, listen to me. Paul said, don't let there be a hint of sexual immorality be among you. Now listen, our culture would say, man, that's crazy. That's legalism. That's holiness. Know what I'm trying to tell you, Dad? If you don't want to be a trophy hanging on the hordes of hell, don't let there be a scent or a hint of sexual immorality among us. Oh, it gets real quiet when we get on these subjects, but these are real subjects that are eating the heart out of our dads, eating the heart out of preachers, eating the heart out of us. Listen. Tell you this, I felt like it was so long that I, 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 I started to read it, but I said, man, the people's going, they, 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 we have a hard time staying awake anyhow. This is going to be real tough if I read this story. So I'm just going to give you the synopsis of this story. Several years ago, maybe a decade ago, uh, I read uh, Chris, um, Chris Valentin. He, he, he titled it Purity, but then he come back and rechanged it because he said, well, most church may not buy that. But what was it called? Moral Revolution. Is that it? Moral Revolution. You got it right there? Let me show them. Ain't this something? You brought this. In this book, More Revolution, there's a story, there's a parable, there's a metaphor in the beginning that he writes about this young boy named Johnny. I'm going to tell you that just for a minute. But Johnny was, um, it was 1967. He was going into the ninth grade, okay? So he had about a two-mile walk to school, and Johnny was walking to school. He was nervous about going into high school, and, you know, man, everything was changing. And so he goes there, and uh, on his uh, first day of school, he, uh, he goes by, and at the corner where he had to turn to get to the school, there was a jewelry store. And at this jewelry store, there was this display right in the window. And there was this ring that was in the display. And that there was... um it just mesmerized him. I mean, when he looked in it, the sun was coming up and it was shining right into this diamond. It just, he just got lost there for a second and didn't realize he must shake himself because he's going to be late for school. And so as he runs or whatever, and, and, and time goes by, I'm, I'm just making it short, okay? Uh, but if you want to read it, it's in the front of this. You can find it on the internet. All you got to do is search the parable of the ring by Chris Valentin and you'll, you can find it on the internet. And so, but anyhow, a couple of days goes by. He gets the courage to go into the store. And the, and the owner of the store was just a gruff man. I mean, was mean to him. Didn't really like, man, what are you? It's a kid in here. It's a freshman in high school. And he's wanting to know about the ring. And so he tells him, he says, son, that ring is $10,000. This is 1967. $10,000. And so anyhow, Johnny finally talks him into letting him look inside the ring. And as he looks inside the ring, he's totally lost and mesmerized by what he sees inside the ring. When he appear, when he looks and peers into the diamond, all of a sudden he begins to see a set of beautiful green eyes looking back at him. There's this long black flowing hair and the woman of his dreams is staring at him inside this diamond. 
So finally, uh, he, he's just lost in a daydream. The woman of his dreams is, is appearing in this diamond. And all of a sudden, the man hollers at him and then breaks him from the trench, you know, of what he's seeing and, and just kind of mean to him and said, let me hold the ring back. And so anyhow, Johnny tears out of there because he was embarrassed, you know what I'm saying, by the man or whatever because he's daydreaming about the woman he saw in the ring. And so he runs out of there and he runs home. So he finally gets the courage up in about two or three weeks later. He notices that every time he comes by the store on Fridays, I think it's Friday, that the man is not standing behind the counter, but there is a nice uh, woman that's behind the counter. And so he finally gets the courage to go back in there, and he talks to this lady, and um, and he talks to her about the ring, and she says it's $10,000. And he tells her that I've got to have the ring. And so she, um, she asks, okay, well, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'm going to put it on layaway. And I will pay the ring off. She said, well, the store requires 20% down. So that's, you know, uh, you know, a little over $2,000. 2200 and some change or whatever. And so anyhow, he, he looks in his wallet knowing he doesn't have $2,200 in his wallet. And finally, he tells the lady, he said, well, I'll have to go home and see what I have. And so he goes home and he sees what he has. Well, anyhow, he's searching for a job. And you know, his dad couldn't get him to cut the grass and he had done broke the strap on the lawnmower three times trying to cut the grass. And so he, he's, I mean, now he's motivated to work. Okay. And so he finds himself a job and it's washing cars after school. And so he runs home after school, changes his clothes and goes, go, goes and washes cars. So within a few weeks, he's got $250 saved up and he goes back in and he talks to that lady and he said, listen, he said, I'm, she, she talks to him about the ring again. And he says, listen, I have $250. She said, the store only takes 20% to put it as layaway. And then the owner comes out and he said, it's 20% down and it's a 30% restocking fee. But he says, I tell you what. He said, if you're willing to make weekly payments of $50, he said, if you miss one payment on the ring, the deal is off and I keep everything that you paid. The lady told Johnny, she said, listen, that is not a good deal at all. That's a bad finance deal. Do not take that deal. She encouraged him, don't take it. She said, listen, go down the street, go down the street and go to another jeweler and get you a ring. Now this is a wedding ring. And she said, this must be some special girl. And he told her, he said, I haven't met the girl yet. So anyhow, he said, no, I got to have that ring. I got to have that ring. So all of Johnny's high school is spent not playing ball. Not going out on Friday and Saturday night. He's working all he can work. Two weeks before graduation, he goes into the store. And finally, about two years into the deal, the owner of the store really warms up to Johnny. And he asked him to forgive him. He said, for I misjudged you. You're a great kid. You're a man of your word. He never missed a payment. And finally, he pays the ring off. So now the ring is in his pocket in the velvet case. Are you with me? And so now he's on his way home. And as he pulls up into the yard, it's 1972. And it's, it's two weeks before graduation. And his mom is sitting on the porch and she's crying. And his dad looks very fearful or whatever, uh, fear and dread on his face. And he said, Johnny, we got to talk. And he hands Johnny a, a, a letter. And the letter said the United States Army. And Johnny had received draft papers. He's drafted to go into Vietnam and his mom's crying and he said mom don't worry I'll be fine or whatever so Johnny goes off to spring uh, not spring training I'm thinking baseball hello but he goes off to basic training 
<laughs> Help me, Jesus. So he goes off to basic training and he realized that the ring is, man, he's worked so hard to get this ring. And so he's got to hide this ring and so he hides it in the socks or whatever. And he throws them in his locker and the drill sergeant comes in in the middle of the night and he goes in there and said, we're here to inspect lockers. And he's just real gruff and mean. And Johnny said he made the store owner look like an angel compared to how rough this uh, drill sergeant was. And he got to his locker and he threw his stuff on the floor. And he just slung it out on the floor. And, and when he did, the sock went across and the ring went flying across the room. And Johnny scurried over to get the ring and get it back in the sock after he left. And he realized then the ring was not in a safe place. He had to get, he had to get more creative to pr- protect this ring. So he took all night, he stayed up all night one night with his, with his knife carving and grooving a hole into his, uh, his helmet. And then he took, um, he took and lined it with, uh, with the lining of the helmet and then put duct tape over it, layered, layered duct tape over it where the ring would be concealed in his helmet. And so later on, they leave from basic training and he's on a plane to Vietnam. He gets in Vietnam. They get shrapnel flying and all these things are happening. And then as the shrapnel's flying, a piece of it hits Johnny's helmet and knocks his helmet across the battlefield. And the sergeant tells him to get in the foxhole. And he says, you don't understand. I have to get my helmet. That is the most important thing to me. That is the most precious thing to me right now is that helmet. I have to get that helmet. So Johnny jumps out of the foxhole, not at the not at the the council of his sergeant runs to the battlefield to get the get the helmet puts straps the helmet back on and as he's jumping into the foxhole takes three rounds in the leg and then the uh, three rounds in the top of the leg. One of those rounds clipped the main artery, so he's bleeding out quickly. They get him uh, on a chopper, and he's flown to, uh, I forget where they take him to, but anyhow, he's flown to the nearest hospital or whatever, and they do surgery on him, and he's hanging in the middle of life and death for three days. On the fourth day, he wakes up. And when he wakes up, the first thing he asks for is he asks for that helmet. Where is the helmet? And he hears a lovely voice from behind him. And she said, your helmet is right here. We kept it. Because the sergeant said this was the most precious thing to you. And so she laid the helmet on the bed. And as he heard the voice, he turned around to look who it was. And it was the woman that he saw in the ring when he was a freshman in high school. I know where I'm going if you can stay with me because I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. It was the woman he saw in the ring when he was a freshman in high school. And all of a sudden when Johnny comes to and he sees the lady, he sees her, he sees her eyes of green. He sees the black flowing hair and everything about it. And she said that my father's a wealthy oilman from Texas. But he didn't want me to be a nurse, but I became a nurse because I wanted to help someone. And Johnny told her, he said, I want to ask you one question. And she said, what's that? He said, will you marry me? And she said, have you lost your mind? But long story short, seven weeks it takes him to recruit in the hospital. They fall in love. I got to hurry up and preach this thing. They get married. And on their wedding night, he gave her a wedding band, but he did not give her the ring. And he waited till they got to the honeymoon suite and he toted her across the threshold of the honeymoon suite. And he told her, looking with innocence in his eyes and her, in, in her eyes, he said, I'm real nervous. And she said, I am too. And so anyhow, she comes and, and so she runs to change or whatever. And she comes, he hollers and tells her to hurry up and get in there because he wanted to give her some. She said, good things are worth waiting for. And he said, when she come back into the room, he says she was definitely right. And then so she sits down on the bed and he gives her the ring. 
And he said that he took this ring and he gave it to her and he said that she was joyful, but it wasn't the reaction that he was looking for. I mean, this thing had cost him blood, sweat, and tears. He gave up a many things that other kids didn't give up to get this ring. I'm going with somewhere if you stay with me. This is the most powerful thing I'm telling you I can tell you this morning. And so... um. So later on the next morning, they wake up and she looks at Johnny and says, I bet you I'll beat you to the beach. And so as she's running out to the beach, he says, make sure to take the ring off. And as she gets in the water, the ring slips off her hand and the ring is gone. And she said, don't worry, Johnny. She said, my daddy's very wealthy. He will buy us another ring, just like the one that I gave you. And he said, you don't understand. He could never repay the value of that ring because it cost me more than money. Now, I want to talk to you right here, man. I feel the Lord in this place. Boy, I feel God. Listen, that ring is your innocence. That ring is your purity. Most people will leave it laying on the battlefield because the pure pressure was so strong to cave in. Just do what everybody else is doing. Man, you know it's not nothing. Come on, just pull that image up. That ain't nothing. Everybody else is doing it. But the enemy, listen, but he never shows you the moment when you tote that bride across the threshold and you got something worth giving to her that you ain't gave to everybody else in society. Come on, somebody. The purity level in the church has got to come to a new standard. We have dropped it because the culture said it was okay. But it has never been okay in the eyes of God. His standard is still the same. Don't let a hint of sexual immorality be among you. So you got to see that you handling that ring. See, there'll be the prayer pressure of prom. I'm going to talk to you just a minute, okay? Oh, everybody's going to do this at prom, but no, you got to realize you got something. And that thing's got to be more precious than anything. Listen, what society has made our young girls out is we treat them like paper plates. We eat off of them and throw them in the trash. No, 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 no. Do you got to be realized that you are a fine china baby? Are you with me now? You only come out on a few occasions and you get handled very delicately. And when you get... You get hand washed, not thrown in the dishwasher. That's right. Come on. Come on, John. Listen. And the reason why our young men don't know how to treat a young woman is because we as men don't know how to treat our wife. Oh, you better, I better get off this right now. I better quit right now. I'm failing in my house. I know I'm failing in my house. Listen, men, we got to raise the standard up. We got too many trophy men that should be trophies in the kingdom of God. But right now, they're living on the walls of hell with their lifestyle. He protected that thing all the way through high school. So when he got to that moment, he had something to present. Listen. Let's don't fall into temptation because the enemy's got bait. And he's not dumb, man. He's made it so accessible. Right here. He's made it so accessible. We've got to raise the standard up. When we're getting beat up, we've got to call out for help and say, listen, I'm getting my teeth beat out. But we can act like it ain't happening. Come on. You want me to get in my life? I had to take a computer and walk out and I beat it up against the side of a pine tree and I went in there and got my 12 gauge and I shot it four times right in the face. You know what I said? I said, because I'm tired of that thing eating my heart out. 
Hello, the world said there's nothing wrong with it. It's everything wrong with it. Man, I'm preaching a long time. I'm preaching hard. Man, visitors be like, my gosh, he's holding us to hell. You better believe it. That's the only way we're going to see the Lord. Don't let no one else tell you a lie. Listen, there's a church saying, listen, I believe you. Can. he loves us the way we are, friend. Are you with me? It doesn't matter what you've done. But once you make a decision to follow him, you will begin to eventually deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Come on. Come on, somebody. Listen, let's have something. Let's raise up purity in our house. Are you with me now? Don't take, don't put nothing on your television that's going to defy what you say you believe. Mm. Oh, we ain't, oh, it's, oh, man, everybody's seen that movie. Man, I'm, uh, Lord, help me. Well, how are we going to be separated from the world if we're sitting in there watching the same junk they're watching? Come on, somebody. I'm not preaching some holiness, unheard of message. Are you with me? There's a price for the anointing. If you want to see cancer leave, you're going to have to come out of the world and be separated. Hello? If we want to see the stuff, we want to see a move of God, we're going to have to come out from among the world, including the one holding the mic. We cannot compromise the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has been compromised and tainted long enough. My God, he's looking for holy people to live a holy lifestyle and serve a holy God. We are not going to be a church that tickles the ears of the hearer. And live. we just can't do that. All right. I want to preach that some more, but I got to move on. Okay. Time is, I've been preaching long enough and I know what it's like to sit down and listen to an hour and a half message. At some point, we're probably saying, my God, land the plane, son. Here's the last thing I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach this kind of quick. Listen, anything can happen. I know this. Let me, get, let me throw the other side of the coin. Let's say one of our young girls gets pregnant. We sure ain't throwing her out on the street because that happened. Hello, somebody. I'm not going to throw them out on the street and leave them because somehow, because we've all made mistakes in this room, okay? Are you with me? But at the same time, I ain't going to have three boys running around like hawks either seeking whom they can devour. I don't know how you run your house, but Catherine says, you always get on to me that. Listen, we just have these conversations about this sometimes. Well, you know, and I've heard other people say, well, you don't need to get in their business. Listen, my children don't have no business. They get out of my house, then they can get a business. Hello, I paid a bill on that cell phone at any time. I told him, do something on it. I don't care if it costs me $1,000. I'll put four rounds of double off buckshot in it before you can turn around. You can talk like I did. Pick up the telephone or get on your bicycle and ride down the road and tell them something. Hello? He ain't got no business. It's all my business. I pay for the lights, the house. Well, that's old school preaching. No, listen. Man, I'm, I'm about to get... Some of these kids couldn't have made it in my day. My daddy told you one time and then you picked yourself off the ground because he backhanded you when you didn't say yes, sir. We didn't go to somebody and say, huh? You might have said it one time. When you got back in the truck, he let you know right quick like, I don't care if they five days older than you. When you look up, you better say, yes, sir, and no, sir. And we said, thank you. We didn't eat in front of the television. We ate at the table. Oh, my God. 
Boy, I'm old and holy. We didn't eat in the living room watching Tom and Jerry. You got at the table. We had a fine dishwasher at my house. It was called Connie, my oldest sister, Christy, and John John, which was me. My daddy didn't believe in timeout. He knocked you out. I remember my middle sister used to hide in the pump house, Mrs. School Bus. She'd be waving like that as a school bus. She did about two days and daddy stayed behind because the school bus driver called him. The fourth day, an hour before daylight, she was standing out with a flashlight waiting on the bus to come. <laughs> well, you don't want to be in their business. Listen here, you better get in their business. Somebody told me the other day, said, well, you know, talking about ninth grade. They talking about stuff in ninth grade that some of them don't need to hear. Let me tell you something. You better wise up, friend. They talking about something in sixth grade that they don't need to hear. And if we don't get some dads to talk in the house, listen, if they don't learn it from you, they go learn it from somebody else. And if somebody else don't teach them, I promise you the Internet's teaching them more than they want to know. Get up and get in your place. Daddy, come on, somebody. Hello, it's not the church's job to train your kids. It's your job. You are the pastor in your house. Good gracious. All right, I'm done right here. I got to get, get close to the airport. It's 12 o'clock. Give me, I'm asking for 10. 10 minutes, 10 minutes of grace. Come on. Now, if we can't get him with the corn... And we can't get him with the scent. There's one other way we're going to try to get him. During the rut, they have to fight. They have to fight for their right to party. <laughs> I'm going old school, back in the 80s. I love the 80s, man. I listen to the 80s on the 80s all the time. Anybody love the 80s? Little red Corvette. Come on now. Sting, please. Oh man, I better quit. Hot. Right. We're gonna get him one of if he don't if he won't come to my corn pile and I can't trick him by messing him up to make him commit sexual immorality. I'm fixing to get him with this right here. Because he's got to fight. So on his scrapes and on his rub lines, I'm fixing to buy something called a mock scrape. I will go by where he laid his scrape. I'm going to fake one and make my own. And what I'm going to tell him is, there's a bigger deer in this area, baby. And now I'm going to clang these horns. And what I'm going to make him think is, there's two dominant bucks in there fighting in his territory for his rights. Now, what he does is he says, I ain't going to put up with that. And I said, God, how am I going to tell the people about rattling and whatever? Let me tell you this. Let me tell you what the enemy traps you with. If he can't get you with debate, you can't get offended, then he can't put Delilah in your life and make you make a mistake. Well, he's just going to immobilize you. This is how he puts your car in neutral. With fear. He always makes your problems look like they're bigger than your God. 
I, I, I was told this like last week, and maybe they're sitting in here, but this got back to me. But somebody was saying that anyhow they were crying or whatever, and they were saying to. And a little kid asked them why they were crying and they told them about whatever, uh, they were just having some issues. And the little kid looked and said this. He said, why don't you just ask Jesus? He'll help you and give what you need. It's the childlike faith. The enemy always wants you to believe that you're going under. Are you with me now? But I'm telling you, we already said it this morning. It ain't if God is for me. He is 100% for me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. That is the gospel truth. And any storm that I'm facing, listen, I would never set my kids up in a battle I know they could not win. If I arrange the fight, I guarantee you John Bentley can whip him. I got all confidence of that. So does your heavenly father. If the trouble comes in your lane, he has already set you up for the victory. Now, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Now, right before that, I've always preached that. I've always quoted that. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. But why did Paul instruct Timothy that God didn't give him a spirit of fear? Right before that, he says, I remind you to stir up the gift that is within you. Oh, now I get going good. And I can sing like nobody's business. And I've even thought about asking Pastor Matt... If I could join the praise team. But every time I see him, something comes up and says, Are you kidding? Are you, are you kidding? You going to want to go up there on that stage? You can't sing a lick. Or, or if I get up there on that stage, I wonder what someone else is going to think of me. You got to lose all that. Because it's not important what we think about you. See, that's the whole difference between the house of David and the house of Saul. The house of Saul, he was worried about what the people thought about him. But in the house of David, David was worried what God thought about him. Hello. For God has not given me a spirit of fear. Fear, fear, I, I used to, I mean, I'm not a fearful guy, okay? I've always been a big dude. Maybe I was the bully. You know what I'm saying? And I always try to tell my bullies, my, my bullies, my boys that bullies are real. But I said this, if you will hit that bully dead square in the center of the nose, you won't have to worry about that bully anymore. Because basically what he's doing is he's afraid of you. The Bible says that the enemy roams around as. Did you see that word? It said as. As is not is. As a roaring lion. Listen, he ain't got no teeth because Jesus snatched them out. There's only one line, and that is the line of the tribe of Judah. I'm not trying to tell you that the enemy don't have power. He does have power. But listen, God is way more powerful than the enemy. There is no struggle. So fear is this. I got a sister, my middle sister. The one daddy beat up for missing the bus. And to hear her talk today, if she was in here, she'd tell you I never got a whipping. That's what she tried to tell him. Listen, I got whippings. I didn't get but seven of them, but I can tell you where they was at. Okay? And when daddy whipped you, it wasn't time out. Okay, I'm telling you. You remembered it. Anybody else? 
This is how it happened in my house. We got Dean, you had to go in the living room, sit on the couch. And you was over there trying. And then Daddy, he sat over there in his recliner. Boy, you better dry it up. I'm going to give you something to cry about. I'm like, boy, this is hurting me a whole lot more than it's hurting you. Are you crazy? You get on the other end. Now that I became a father, it does hurt more. My sister called me, and this is what she'd do. She works, she works ICU. I want you to pray for so-and-so. They had this problem of water about three weeks ago, went to the doctor. It was stage four cancer. And after about 30 minutes of conversation with her, all of a sudden, oh, my God, I, I, had, a, I had a problem like that about three weeks ago. Then I'm laying down in there at the bed at night, sweating bullets. It's over with. This is it. It's the end of the road. Has anybody else ever had that in this room? You get a sore throat and you think it's stage four. Are you with me now? Huh? You got a hangnail. You're given three months to live. That's fear, friend. The enemy always blows it up. I'm finished with this right here. I'm closing. How many's ever seen the movie The Sandlot? You remember the movie The Sandlot? When they hit the ball over, and you remember Squints Palladors telling the story of what that was over there on the other side of the fence. Remember? They had a dog named Hercules. Got him as a puppy. They started feeding the dog directly. He was eating whole sides of beef every day. Remember that? And then suddenly he grew into what they called the beast. He ate people who broke in the junkyard. So the cops come and told him the dog had to be shackled down because he was a killer. And what the beast was was simply a bulldog that became the team mascot. That's the same way the enemy does to all your problems. Listen to me. I can stand here and honestly say, Catherine and I have been to where there ain't no way, no way, the $11, the $9, remember that? The $9. I remember when I made $10 an hour, I bought my first brand new truck. Daddy said, son, do not buy that truck. There's nothing wrong with your truck. I said, Daddy, I'm making $10 an hour. I don't know if you understand, but I'm making $10 an hour. We getting a brand new truck. Six months later, I hated that truck. Daddy says, son, that truck you had look good. Yes, sir. Can I get it back? No, you cannot. You told the people, you go pay for it, you pay it for it. That's about two years, two and a half years, he let me sell it. But, and the enemy would always say this, you're never going to make it. I remember when she decided, when we had Grant, when Grant was six months old to go back to college. Catherine, how in the world are we going to do without you working? And those voices would come to my mind. You're never going to make it. Every time I would crack open my checkbook to write my tithe, the enemy would say, now you, listen, you write that tithe, you're going to do without. I'm telling you right now, I'm living proof. I wrote the tithe and I ain't did without. Amen. And where I brought home 30000 in what? In 08. In 07, the truck I drove, listen, some of them said, well, you know, look, I don't drive no nice vehicle now, so it's a, it's a 2015, 
And Lord willing, if Andy can help me in 20 months, I'll drive whatever they got out then. Because I'll put so many miles on a vehicle, okay? And right there's what. He said, let's hope to get two and a half out of it. I don't got it pushing 40,000 on it now, and it's not quite a year. But, but I remember when we planted the first church. Church. Am I telling people a lie? Am I telling them a lie? I had a blue 1988 Nissan hardbody, four-wheel drive, that we paid $1,000 cash for. It was The boys at work said it was so ugly you need a tetanus shot to look at it. <laughs> and, and here's the deal. And the Bendix and the starter was gone out, so it clicked most of the time. And I remember one time I saw one of the elders at the church. I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm praying the whole way in tongues under my breath. Father, let the truck crank. Just let the truck crank. Don't let us have to push it off or sit ahead and hit it. And I remember Grant got in his little seatbelt, you know, and it, I touched it. It crunked right up. He told me, Daddy, it crunked the first time. <laughs> I remember one day we was going to the church. It was hot. I remember just being real hot. Grant had a Pepsi. He was riding in his car seat. I'm done. Closing the plane. Put your seatbelt on. Fit and land. You want to come right here and uh, play right here just a minute? Adam, that'll be good. So I remember, Grant, we had the windows down. The air conditioner was two windows down. Hopefully, we could make it 60 by an hour. Truck vibrated so bad at 65, you thought it was going to fall apart. So I remember, Grant, he looked over at me. He might have been what? He's close to three years old. He said, he turned that Pepsi up. He said, show sure is hot, ain't daddy? <laughs> I said, it's hot, buddy. I said, but if your mama ever graduates... I said, we ain't riding in this. He called it the monster truck. I said, we ain't riding in the monster truck. This is no joke. We was bow hunting one time, me and a friend of mine, and we locked the doors up because we had to run in Walmart. And the, and the door locks was rusty, so when I stuck the key in there, it was going to break the key off to turn it off, whatever. And the bow and arrows we had in the truck was worth more than the whole truck. So I took my knife and cut the window seal on the back glass and cut the back glass out and laid the back glass in the back of the truck climbed in unlocked the door so I know what it's like when the fear tells me if you write that tithe you're going to do without listen to my testimony right here I'm almost done this is God's faithfulness to me okay I remember if she, I remember eating canned tuna fish where she could have a five dollar lunch while she was at college when she graduated I bought a four door lariat but I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do nothing stupid. My brother-in-law, it had $7,000 worth of equity in it. And my brother-in-law said, I'm going to give it to you, pay off. Whatever. And I remember on that Wednesday night, I remember I had Kevin preach when he told the church, he said, John got a new truck, so he ain't going to be here tonight. He's riding around. And we rode around. Had 35-inch tires. I mean, my gosh. But buddy that was hunting with me, he said, man, I'd like to have that truck for a hunting truck. He said, I'll give you $1,000 for it. I said, come get it. Tomorrow's yours. So, finally made it. Made it through that hard season. Couldn't go out to eat. Couldn't do nothing. But we continue to ride it out. Fear saying you're going to do without. Going to do without. Going to do without. And every year what I would watch when we got the W-2s in, there would be increase. There would be increase. Had a boss man that started riding me, trying to get me, and just, man, he just, he was just on my neck and on my throat every year, wasn't he? Started real bad at the end. Now, I remember in 2008, 
at the end of it, they asked me and they come to me and said, John, would you like to leave the company and just become a consultant for us and just do what you do and we just pay you for it? Now, I remember, yeah, I told him, if you pay me this right here, I worked five weeks and I said, man, there ain't no way I can live off that. Went back to the owner of the company. He said, well, what you telling me you need more money? I said, yeah. He said, all right, I'll pay you this. What, three years ago, went back. He said, listen, I can't increase no work to you, John. He said, you, you, you just get what you get. You know what I'm saying? It's whatever, whatever they call in. He said, well, what you tell me, you need more money? Yeah, here it is. I'll pay you this. Just God give me favor. And the man that rode me that been there 30 years, a chief engineer or whatever, I made three times his salary in 2015. Tell me God ain't faithful if you ride it out. Some of you don't believe what I'm telling you. Paul said, I know what it's like to abound and I know what it's like to do without. I know what it's like to do without. I know what it's like to wash cars on Saturday to put diapers on on the hind end of my oldest son. I know what it's like. But I also know what it's like to live a little bit higher on the hog. Listen, fear tell you if you give it, it's over. That's a lie. If you give it, it only leaves your hand for a moment to go down into the ground to produce seed for another day. Do you believe what I'm preaching to you? We're not going to live bound to fear. Whatever report I get from the doctor, God's still bigger than that. If I get buried, he's still bigger than that. I never die, friend. That's the privilege of being a believer. We never die. We just step out of this realm into another realm. I'm going to guard my heart like Proverbs said in Proverbs 4. I'm guarding it, for out of it flows the issue of life. I'm not letting something into my heart. Listen, girls, your heart is a garden. You can let that little old boy sow whatever you want to, or you can guard it. As soon as he starts throwing thorns, put his end down the road. Listen, you'll know when you got the right one. You believe? How many married folk in here know when you got the right one? I remember he's my CPA today, but when we were boarding a trip to to uh, to India or whatever, I told him when I met Catherine, I we we Catherine and I met. I was preaching the gospel the second week of February, right before and whatever, and we got married on May first, and um, that's pretty quick, okay. But I knew that night that I knew when I saw her dance that song, I said, God, that's a woman right there for me. I said, I, she, she going after you? That's, that's, that's it. And I told my, he said, I told my CPI, I said, I'm going to marry that girl when I get back. He said, man, you lost your mind. Got married on May 1st and 2nd. That's a whole different thing. We double married, okay? Two states, two days. Stand up with me. I want to bless you today. Listen, I want every man in this place to meet me back here at this church at 430 for us to fellowship. That's so important. I can't stress to you how important it is for us to meet together as men. Men have to fellowship. We have to have a place we can let our hair down and our guard down that we don't have to be superheroes. Are you with me? How many likes to eat fried quail? About four people. Listen, I got some. How many like to eat pork smoked sausage? If you don't like that, we got some grilled dove and we are frying fish too. And Tim Fuller and Ken Balter's running the fryers. I promise you it's going to be fitting to eat. Hot. Don't let your life be a trophy to the enemy. Hear me? 
Look at your neighbor and say, I ain't going to be afraid. There's 365 commands in the Bible that says fear not. There's 365 days a year. Wake up and put that devil right in his place and say, listen, this is my ground because God gave it and you ain't going to run me off with a set of rattling horns trying to make me think you're bigger than me. God, greater is he that is in you than he that's within the world. I'm going to guard my heart. I'm not going to let the things of the world sow into my life and in my heart. Come on. I'm not going to be offended. I will not live offended in 2016. Listen, I will not, I am not falling for that bait and taking no arrow out of that bow with offense. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to forgive those who've done me wrong and I'm going to live under the blessing of God Almighty. You with me? Now touch your neighbor on the shoulder and I'm going to pray for you. Now you pray these things. Listen, do business with God right here before we leave. If there's any unforgiveness in your heart, deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Forgive them right now. Listen, you say, well, I don't know if I can. Preacher, listen, choose to. God will help you do the rest. If you make the choice, do it right now. Listen, if some of you hold things against your, your mate who's in your marriage, listen, forgive them. Let them go of that stuff. not going to live offended. Father, I thank you today for the word of the Lord. I thank you for helping us today, God. I thank you for uh, uh, just your grace and your mercy over our lives, your goodness over us this morning. Father, I thank you that Lord, we're going to choose to forgive, God. We are not going to live bound to unforgiveness, God. We're not going to live offended, God. We're going to live free. And Father, I thank you for our hearts being guarded today, God. We are not going to cave in to any sexual immorality, God. We're going to live pure and holy before you before the eyes of God. I thank you, Lord. God, like David, we make a covenant with our eyes, God. We'll put nothing before them, God, that dishonor you. And Father, I pray, God, today in the name of Jesus that you would begin to break fear. We're going to make it, God. I thank you, Lord, that the blessing of the Lord maketh us rich and we are going to make it, God. Our finances are going to change in the name of Jesus. We are blessed people this morning. In Jesus' name, shout like you believe it.